Everything old is new again. Just ask Abercrombie. Motley Fool Money starts now. I'm Dylan Lewis, and I'm joined over the airwaves by Motley Fool analyst Jason Moser. Jason, thanks for joining me. Hey, hey, thanks for having me. We've got a rundown on Peloton's woes and the story behind Abercrombie's latest resurgence. Jason, we're going to start with the fitness company. Peloton shares down 20% after the company reported its fiscal fourth quarter results. What drove the dive here? Well, um, I mean, it's it's a few things. It certainly feels like things are poised to get worse for the company before they get better. In, in, in certainly, I think we all hope that they they do eventually get better. It you know it does feel like the overarching theme with this company right now is that management just doesn't have a firm grasp on the business yet, right? It's a business that's dealing with a lot of challenges all at once. But but you got to doff the cap, right? They are trying. I mean, right now I'd say the stock it's kind of it's kind of a coin flip right now as to whether they're actually able to pull this off um, because even they admit there's no real north star for modeling any type of reliable outcome in regard to the business because there's so many variables in play right now. So I think there is just still a tremendous amount of uncertainty. We obviously know the past with this business, um, big challenges and recalls. I mean, ultimately a business that has had to make a, a tremendous pivot from from what the initial value proposition was. So, yeah, it's it's you know they say turnarounds rarely turn around. I mean, this is this is a turnaround, uh, and we hope it does turn around. But I think right now the market is is probably maybe taking the glass half empty view on this one. Let's take a, a little bit of a zoom in on some of those recall issues you mentioned. Uh, when we saw the earnings results from the company, uh, revenue down five percent. And there were a couple different factors there. I think we saw, um, I think, some struggles in the hardware sales. Uh, we also saw, you know, this is a subscription business, and as there were issues uh, with their products, I think they saw some people kind of move away from their subscriptions while they were waiting for their hardware to issues to get resolved. Jason, do you feel like as we look at this business going forward, they are out of the of the woods with this product recall, or is this something that is going to continue to plague this business? I mean, it, we're definitely out of the woods. I don't think yet. I mean, it is something. That that you know this this type of thing stays front and center for a lot of folks. It's it's interesting to see sort of the juxtaposition between recalls in this line of work and recalls in the automobile industry, right? Because e- recalls in the automobile industry are just those are those are a dime a dozen, right? We see them all the time. Chances are you've probably got two two recalls outstanding on your vehicle right now, and you don't even know it. And that's just kind of the way that works. But but with a business like this, it's it's obviously very uh, very headline centric. I mean, we we've read these stories in regard to the seat post, for example. Um, we know that they also had issues with their with their popular tread product. So when you start talking about safety issues, in in you know, unfortunately, when you bring the word death into uh, certain situations like these, you know, given the nature of why you're using these products to begin with and services, uh, it really does make you kind of do a double take. So I, I think, you know, they are making the efforts to get past these recalls, but but we're still in such the early stages of actually them getting past it. You don't really know if they're actually going to be able to get past it yet or not. Um, they're definitely getting uh, positive responses, at least from consumers, and wanting to go ahead and take advantage of, of these repairs. What remains to be seen is, will consumers going forward really trust this brand enough to continue buying that hardware along with any new uh, innovations that they, that they bring to the market in regard to that hardware? 
You mentioned some of the challenges that they've run through before, and you know, we you pick one. I mean, there's the inventory issues, there's the recall we just talked about. There's, I think, some of the murkiness just around the the, the market size for for some of their products. Yeah. I have noticed in recent quarters that this business has tried to make a little bit more of a pivot to their digital ambitions and moving away from the reliance on we need the hardware in a consumer's home in order to have a relationship with them. Do you feel like there's traction there or something that we can be optimistic about in terms of that being a growth lever? I would say that's that for me really right now is one of the things I'm more optimistic about with this business. I mean, I I like the hardware angle. I think that you know, recalls notwithstanding. I mean, I think that they, generally speaking, make good hardware, right? They, they've missed a couple of, of, of they've, they've missed checking a couple of boxes along the way. But, but you're right. I mean, this is a this is an investment in, in any business that has really kind of had to pivot away from what it was known initially, right? As is this the bike, right? The connected fitness that comes with it, and and now we're seeing they're kind of trying to steer away from the hardware side because of these issues they've had with their hardware. And if you look on, you look at their website now, for example, and see their offering in regard to their their digital presence. I mean, they've they've got the Peloton app free offering, which is $0 per month. Um, you've got the Peloton App 1, and then you've got the Peloton App Plus. Peloton App 1, $12.99 per month. Peloton App Plus, $24 per month. And then you can see that these offerings give you all sorts of different features um, and options. But, but one thing is, Across all three of these, no equipment is needed, right? You don't actually need the Peloton equipment to be able to subscribe to these services. I think that's a great call, right? They don't necessarily have to be an equipment company. Um, and so to see them make this pivot and really start focusing on that subscriber side makes a big uh, makes a big difference to me because we, as we know, I mean, we've seen subscription businesses uh, all throughout our time here at the Fool covering all sorts of different companies. Subscription businesses can be very powerful. Um, and, and, and to be clear, I mean, while product revenue was down 25% for the quarter, subscription revenue was up 10% for the quarter. So clearly, one of one of the one of the few, unfortunately, right now, uh, bright spots for for this business. Yeah, and there's definitely a path there where they're able to appeal a little bit more to a more price-conscious customer or someone that just simply doesn't have the money on hand to buy one of their more uh, expensive hardware products, uh, but still wants a fitness experience. I think I think there's something interesting there. Um, it's just a little tough because we've we've seen some missteps before from this management team, and I wonder if you know they're capable of making that pivot happen. One of the things I wanted to zoom in on with this earnings release, Jason, was uh, management expects cash flow to be negative for the next few quarters. Uh, yeah. But CEO Barry McCarthy said, "I've never been more optimistic and excited about the future of this business. Stock is now at all-time lows. Do you feel like there's a reason to be interested and excited about this company, or are you kind of waiting and seeing how this pivot and this this resurgence may materialize?" Um. So I, you know, I, I want to be optimistic. I mean, I know there's some challenges on the horizon, right? I mean, this is a seasonal business, and, and I mean, it was funny they opened the the shareholder letter with that very sentence. It's like it was a reminder. Please remember, this is a seasonal business, and, and if you look in the 10K, I mean, they even stated so. It's not it's not something they're just trying to to pawn off results. They say in the 10K, I mean, they've experienced higher revenue in the second and third quarters of their fiscal year compared to the other quarters. Remember, this is the fourth fiscal quarter that they were reporting. So, in theory, you know. We've got this holiday season coming up, and and it is a seasonal business, so we should see some improvement there down the line. By the same token, again, kind of going back to that to that point I made earlier, that it doesn't 
you know, this is Barry McCarthy's third call with this company, right? He's still a relatively new CEO. And so you, you still you, you want to give them a little bit of time to, to get sort of a you know an understanding of the business and a grip on the drivers. But you know there was a question in the call even in regard to uh, this uptick in sales over the last eight weeks, right? Someone you know someone asking asking them what what was the cause of that? And, and, and management literally said they didn't know. Like they just he didn't have an answer. He's like I just don't know what to say. Maybe it was macro forces. Maybe it was something else. I mean you know. It, it, even even you know managers even fake it for me all right tell me something <laughs> yeah give me some work with here positive response to the brand because of your recall effort something right so i feel like there's still maybe some work to be done on that side messaging um, and advocating for the brand so so maybe that could be seen as opportunity as well i mean this is clearly a business where uh, the market is not giving it much credit at all We've seen that happen before, and sometimes that can represent opportunities. I'm not calling this one a value opportunity, but I'm not calling it a value trap either. They're still making some interesting decisions here that lead me to believe that maybe there is a future where Peloton is a growing part of our lives. All right, from down 20% to up 20%, Abercrombie and Fitch shares up big today after the clothing company reported beats on the top and bottom line with its second quarter results. Jason, huge jump post earnings from a company that I think people have been sleeping on a little bit. What's behind the pop? Well, yeah, I think we sleep on these companies a lot because we know fashion is so fickle, right? I think we've said on these shows for for years and years, uh, fashion is just a notoriously difficult investment because it is fickle and and it's not something that is is terribly lasting. I think in this case, you've got the one-two punch about performance along with raising guidance. Um, in the market, clearly loves that. But what's really interesting to note here, you go all the way back to 2019. The top line for this company hasn't really budged. Net income's been cut in half, and now you've got this stock trading at 25 times full-year estimates. And it's like the market is really excited about Abercrombie and Fitch again. Um, but but I, I I do understand at least the optimism there in, in a retail environment right now, where we've seen a lot with results from companies like Target, uh, where there are a lot of consumer headwinds. You know, we're talking about shrink and organized crime and theft, inventory issues. And Abercrombie's not really having to deal with that as much. I mean, it's 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 seeing a little bit more positive momentum. I think partly because maybe it's a little bit more of an understood customer base as to as opposed to something like a Target that is a a bit more of a broad uh, customer base in in what they had to offer. Um, so, listen, I mean, Abercrombie and Fitch they've they've had their fair share of difficult years. Uh, so it's nice to see them sort of, of turning the tables here a little bit and, and, and enjoying some, some success. Yeah, you mentioned the financial picture, and what's kind of interesting is we mentioned shares up twenty percent on the earnings news. They're up one hundred and ten percent year to date, way yeah. ahead of the S and P's return, way ahead of what we're seeing from other retailers for like uh, American Eagle, Gap, Urban Outfitters. So this company is clearly doing something right. What I think is kind of interesting, Jason, is is just anecdotally. Their merchandising mix looks quite a bit different than maybe your older cousins Abercrombie and Fitch <laughs> from from the early aughts and and nineties and and I've seen it firsthand because in my household I had not really been thinking much about Abercrombie and Fitch. Just last week, my girlfriend had a package come from them, and I was looking at what came in the mail: five plain tees. She said they're her favorite plain tees, and you look at their website, similar to what we were talking about with Peloton. Actually, looking at what they're offering here. It's a lot of stuff that looks a lot more like Madewell and some of those retailers that are a little bit slimmer, a little bit more basic in terms of what they're offering. 
it's it's a big departure from what we've traditionally seen from this retailer. Yeah, well, sometimes less is more, and I think maybe we've hit that hit that stage in fashion where I mean, there there was a time where you know logos were. Uh, more and more in vogue, and that was something that consumers appreciated more. And, and, and maybe now, understated is a little bit more uh, of the way to go. I think. I mean, talking about returns, I mean, you, you look at the three-year chart for this thing. I mean, the stock is up four hundred and five percent over the last three years. I just, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm really, I'm just astounded by that. I mean, but, but hey, hats off to them. Uh, that's that's tremendous performance. And I, I think, um, you know. You look at what I think you're right. I mean, you go back to to sort of this idea. They're no longer this. It's not this Abercrombie and Fitch that we knew from years ago, right? Um, it's it's they they consider themselves and take this take this for better or for worse. They consider themselves a lifestyle brand now, Dylan. <laughs> and we know that comes with some with some with some uh, caveats there. Um, so so sometimes you see companies kind of leaning into that lifestyle brand at the peak of their success. I'm not I'm not calling this the top, but I'm just saying they threw the lifestyle. The lifestyle thing out there, so let's keep that in mind. But I do appreciate the idea here, though, in that when you look at the business itself, they had the Abercrombie and Fitch brand along with the Hollister side of the business, and Hollister, which is a bit more attractive to the younger demographic, teenagers. So you've kind of got that back to school demo there, and then you've got the Abercrombie and Fitch brand, which you know leans to a little bit more of an older demographic. But these two sides of the business play off of each other very well, right? You've got Abercrombie, which historically presents a higher operating margin business, but Favors a more digital consumer, and then you've got the Hollister, which is a lower operating margin business because it favors a bit more of an in-store experience. And I think that comes with that younger demographic that's actually looking to just get out there and go through the stores and whatnot. But about two-thirds of Hollister's business is still in-store. So I think one thing this company is doing really well, and it kind of goes to that omni-channel experience that we talk about with so many retailers that are witnessing successes, that they are meeting their customers where their customers want to be met, right? Whether it's that Hollister demographic or that Abercrombie and Fitch demographic, they're they're doing it all, and I think that makes a big difference. It's certainly presenting itself in the numbers. Yeah, and I think we've seen some comments from management in the quarter talking about how they're really focusing on customers having clothing that they can wear in the workplace and also outside of the workplace. That that kind of transitional outfit that works for nightlife and the nine to five, and it seems to be connecting with the customer base. I think you hit on something there that I was I was thinking about this and putting together some notes for today's. They really are benefiting from this notion that you know we we've we've got sort of a different view on the way we work right now. I mean it's it's some of it's all remote, some of it's back into the office, some of it's hybrid, but it's not the way it was before. And so and so fashion is it's it's extending itself right into more into more situations. And, and certainly Abercrombie is benefiting from that. And I think they're also benefiting from what we've seen here at least uh, with. A number of retailers. I mean, when you just get back down to the numbers of it all, um, I mean, mar- the market's clearly excited about the fact that the company's inventory levels are down 30% from a year ago. The impressive part is with those inventory numbers down that much, 30%, we saw gross margin tick up 460 basis points based on strong store performance, lower freight costs, and it was offset a little bit by some higher input costs on the cotton side. But ultimately, you saw operating margin 9.6% up considerably from a year ago, where essentially they were just break even. So I mean, all things considered, not only are they meeting their customers where they want to be met, but you can see that materializing and manifesting into into real 
concrete numbers in the business. Uh, that that you know, listen, it's not a stock that I would be jumping on today at twenty five times full year estimates, but I certainly understand the market's enthusiasm. Yeah, you beat me to it, Jason. I was going to ask. Oh, I mean, <laughs> this is a this is a business that I now I think is trading at a, an earnings multiple that may surprise some people. We talked about the one year look and the three year look, but you know, this is a business that is also highly cyclical, and we have yeah. seen this story before, where it seems like they catch lightning in a bottle. And then we wind up looking at the longer picture and saying, you know, they actually haven't returned a ton of value to shareholders short term or even over one to three to five year, depending on the look and your cost basis. Is is this a business or an industry in general that you're interested in, or you just feel like this? It's too hard to follow the trends here. I so I, I certainly cannot. I, I I do not profess to be on top of the fashion trends. That's for sure. But I, you know, this just generally speaking, it's not a market that really. It's not one that I look to first because it, it's a different difficult one for me to really embrace is sort of that buy to hold mentality. It's not one where I feel like I could buy and plan on owning for years on end and hopefully adding to as time goes on. I think it it's a little bit more suitable to to your to your value investment, right? I mean, for value investors looking to find impaired businesses that offer, you know, a proposition where there might be a short-term catalyst or a long-term trend in play. I mean, it reminds me many many years ago uh, here when I I uh, did that that Sort of thing with with Gap, right? I I'd sort of I found Gap at the time it was really suffering because of a number of self inflicted issues, along with um, you know so, some some macro forces that were hurting the business. You know, I jumped in there with sort of that value thesis. Um, I didn't get in quite at the bottom. I didn't sell quite at the top, but it, it was it was a, a rewarding investment, and I enjoyed it. But man, I remember afterwards feeling like, damn, that that was a lot harder than I feel like it had to be. So it requires a lot of work. It requires a lot of attention. It absolutely can be done, um, but but I think it probably fits more in that value style of investing as opposed to that buy to hold investing. So just depending on on what your flavor is, there, uh, you know, take that take that into consideration. Jason, always happy to have your investing advice. I'll, I'll ask other people about the fashion advice. We're two men in t-shirts <laughs> recording this podcast. Uh, thanks so much for joining me for today's show. Thank you. As always, people on the program may own stocks mentioned, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. I'm Dylan Lewis. Thanks for listening. We'll be back tomorrow. Oh,